Alright y'all come on in, take your shoes off, sit on down. Y'all listening to In the Corner, Back by the Woodpile. Spun Counter Guy, thanks for stopping by. The Soviet Union seemed to find more ears open to the ideology of Marxism when they pointed out the failures of the Western democracies and claimed to have averted such human shortcomings in their great socialist utopia. Economic inequality, hunger, crime, classism, racism, and other social ills have been wiped out overnight, according to Joseph Stalin's public relations machine routinely repeated by his parrots in the free west. But, as is often the case with any absolute power, its propaganda diverted from something far worse that was occurring behind the Iron Curtain. In the case of racism alone, not only were ethnic groups not of Russian blood being systematically held down in their careers and opportunities, but millions were deported to work camps thousands of miles away, and for so many, might as well have been called death camps. Then there was the deliberate starvations of whole non-Russian republics. Jews were not left out of the misery, Stalin singling them out in particular, especially in the early 1950s. What made this worse was Soviet Jews had already suffered greatly in the areas the Nazis had occupied during their World War II invasion of the Soviet Union. Just as had been done in Europe, the concentration camps and the long ditches began appearing in the wake of the Germans' boots, only to be filled with the sons and daughters of David. And sadly, even after Stalin's death, the Jews continued to be held down, imprisoned, and worse, up until the end of the Soviet Union's existence. One couple, whose family lived through all the displacement and persecution, was Geralda and Yuri Zeslin. They were both born in the Ukraine, but these days reside in Nashville, Tennessee. Geralda, with her serious but sweet nature, and Yuri, with his dry sense of humor, met with me recently to tell some of their story. And with some help from some American narrators, here they are. Geralda Gislin. Yuri Gislin. G-H-I-S-L-I-N. I was born in 1937. I was born in Kharkov City. It's a big industrial city in the Ukraine. Before 1935, it was the capital of the Ukraine. Then Kiev became capital, but Kharkov is the second biggest city in the Ukraine. In the 1930s, lots of people were killed, but my parents, I cannot remember if they say anything about this, Maybe it did not touch them. Some people have problem with communist regime. Some people didn't go against the government. My parents never got involved in politics. They were just regular workers. Same with my parents. At home, I remember we had conversations, and sometimes somebody didn't agree with the government. But if they were to say this outside, they would be arrested and they shot them. Very dangerous. No discussion. But at home, if you disagreed, you shut the door and shut the window. If you were with friends, you could express your views. But if one of your friends want to be in good favor with the government, they will go to the police and say, do you know what he said against the government? And they will come arrest you, shoot you and kill you. Our parents told us, what we say here behind closed doors, Don't tell your friends. Maybe they will go report us. My father was a physician, my mother a pediatrician. They worked at the clinic, always was busy. Medical care and schools were all free, except for prescriptions. There were a lack of doctors, so they were very busy. Here, I know doctors have a lot, but back there, the doctor's salary was very low or medium. My grandmother lived with us, so mostly I spent my time with her. There were no Jewish synagogue, no churches. 
there was no religion, just propaganda and atheism. At home, grandmother knew some Jewish tradition, probably from her younger age, but my parents never used Jewish tradition. Maybe they wanted to, but they couldn't because they could lose their jobs. I knew the Torah existed, but I never saw it. My parents were very religious and they had a Bible, but we could not carry it to work or school. It could be trouble. Maybe some people hid the Bible or Torah, but it was not legal at all. The idea of religion and the ideas of the communist were separate. The government didn't accept the ideas of religion. It was stupid of the government to be against religion. It's like if one religion said, ours is good, so we need to destroy the others. I believe that God is one for everyone. It's just people believing in different ways. For that, they don't need to fight. Like some Muslims who think as many people as they kill, God will give him more. There's no need for this. Muslims, Christians, Jews existed under communism, but it had to be hidden. We knew our neighbors were Christian or Tartar Muslims, and what they did in their homes, we do not know. But in our relations, we were friendly to each other, maybe because communism was our common enemy. Now these days, some are fighting, but I think most are still friendly. In Kharkov, the Jewish population was about 30, 40,000 people, but most of the time we didn't have a synagogue. After World War II, there is no synagogue. They had promised to rebuild the synagogues because the Nazi Germans tried to kill all the Jews in the Ukraine. But after the war, there was never any repair or construction of synagogues. And if the synagogue was not damaged, the government made it into a sports club. When the synagogue was open, my father often went to pray. But when they closed them, he prayed at home. His parents could be more religious because his mother didn't work and his father didn't have a high position job. The government told us there is no God or God is the Communist Party. You know, the government can close these things, and so people will just go underground. Yes, still, I know Jews and Christians in secret try to keep some tradition. We, Yuri, and I lived for many years in an apartment that was five families together. Each family had one room, a common hall. One kitchen for five families. And most of the families were Christian. They and we celebrated our holidays in secret. We had good neighbors, we shared everything, and we were very close. We could trust them. We raised our children in that apartment. My father met with other Jews who were very religious, and since the synagogue was closed, they met at somebody's house. But not just everybody from the street. We only wanted people we knew and just a small group. But one time they were arrested. The police wanted to know why all these people were coming together in one house. What are they doing? What are they talking about? Maybe they were talking against the government. Ten or twenty men together? They were afraid it's a conspiracy. The government weren't just afraid of Jews meeting, but anyone. A person may see ten or more people go into a home, and they would call the police to say, it looks very suspicious, you need to know. And these people who make the call, then they go up in their jobs or position, not because they are a great patriot, is because they will report others. In 1941, Adolf Hitler broke his pact with Joseph Stalin and invaded the Soviet Union and the countries under its control. I asked what Geralda and Yuri's family experienced when the Nazis entered the Ukraine. 
Yuri's parents grabbed the children and went far away from the Ukraine. My grandparents stayed in Kharkov, but we escaped. Yuri's grandparents could not leave because it was restricted, the amount of people who could leave the Ukraine. His grandparents were killed along with many Jewish people by the Nazis. Most of my father's family were killed in another city, Herson. My father was a doctor and so was sent by train to help wounded soldiers. He was allowed to send his family, and so we went to Kazakhstan. I can escape from this room, this building, for example, but escape for a hundred miles, I cannot. It's impossible. I must buy a train ticket. At the train station, everyone stands in line, but you cannot buy a ticket unless your work supervisor approves it. That can be your only escape. Nobody has a car at home, no bicycle either. After the war was finished, we came back. Some stayed wherever they went. In the 1950s, Stalin became convinced somebody wanted him dead, more so than every other man, woman, and child under his genocidal thumb. Who specifically? Doctors, the Jewish ones. And thus began a roundup of some of the greatest minds in the Republic. After the war, it became a hard time because Stalin did not trust Jewish doctors. Lots of good Jewish academic specialists were imprisoned or shot. And then, in January of 1953, Stalin had a plan to move all Jewish people to the Far East, but he died in March of 1953. But still, anti-Semitism was very popular in the Soviet Union, and especially in the Ukraine. I remember I went to the store and stand in line for some food, and people pointed me and said, oh, he's a Yid. It's the same as when people call African Americans the bad word, the word they don't like. Some parents of the children, when I was in school, said to them, don't play with him because he's a Jew. You can get together, three or four of you, and fight him. But also other people said, trying to be friendly, he's a Jew, he's smarter than the average person. And then others say, he's a Jew, and for this reason, he's trying to get in front of you. Jewish people need to stay smarter or work harder, because if others have the choice, they'll hire somebody not Jewish. Jewish people always try to be better at things because they need to survive. I had a problem, I just now remembered. I was a good student, I had a very high grade. After high school, I wanted to be a teacher, so I went to college. I had the exam and it was almost the best score, but they did not accept me because they decided that Jews could not be teachers. This came from the top, Moscow. Only a low percentage of teachers could be Jewish. So after a year, I went to a medical school and it was not so much a problem because of my dad. You know, the government paid for education, so after school for at least three years, you are sent to where they want you, not where you want to. No choice. I was sent to a rural area for three years, and after, I came back to the city and got a position. But when there was a chance to move up in position, my supervisor said he could not promote me, and he did not say the reason. But I understood, and so I needed to leave and find another job. I feel the education we received both in high school and college was very good, especially for becoming a specialist. And how did these two lovebirds meet? I have a cousin. The cousin has a wife who was working with Geralda's mother. 
When I was working in the rural area, every once in a while, I would return to visit my parents, and I visited my mother at work. He was with his cousin, and we met. So we began dating together. I was 26, he was 31. She looked then as she looks now. We met in January, and in August of that same year, we got married. It's now been 53 years. Though sometimes I go to bed with an empty stomach. We have two children, a daughter and a son. At the very end of the 1980s, Geralda and Yuri were finally able to leave the Soviet Union. They explained the circumstances that led up to their exit. Yuri's only family after his parents died was a brother who came to Nashville 12 years before, and he had many family here before. Yuri's father's sister came to Nashville in 1912, and she established a big family, eight children. But since the time of the Communist Revolution, Yuri's father and his sister never knew if each other were still alive. But 50 years later, through the Red Cross, Yuri's aunt found his father and started sending letters. But this is when the Soviet government still opened your mail. So they had to send the letters through someone else, because if your work found out you had relatives in America, it could be very bad for you. They may say, why should we give you a raise when you have family in America? It was difficult to leave the Soviet Union before because you had to get permission from Soviet government. But during that time of Gorbachev, and Reagan, they had an agreement to allow Soviet Jews freedom of movement to leave if they wanted to before they could not. Still, it was not easy. We had to pay the government to leave our citizenship and we could never come back. So for five years while we were in America, we had no citizenship for any country. But after five years, we could apply for US citizenship. And after a year, an interview and an exam, we got American citizenship. So we are Americans now. We left the Soviet Union in December of 1989 and came here in April 1990. We were in Austria, then Italy, and then Nashville. When we came to America, one of Yuri's family who was in New York met us at the airport and helped us change planes. We spoke no English, none at all. My daughter learned some English in school in Kharkov, but not much. Our first year, we took some English classes at a church and some at the JCC. In the daytime, we worked. At nighttime, we came to classes. And you know, we also learned by having conversations at work. My first job was in a kitchen at a restaurant, so I did not need to talk. But after a few months, I worked at a childcare with infants. No one believed that I, who was once a pediatrician, became a nanny. But anyway, I began to speak with the children and speak more English. After two years, I went to a school in Memphis, and my English is not perfect, but you can understand me so. Yuri worked with his cousins in a warehouse, and one of his co-workers became close to him and taught Yuri English during their working together. After we got American citizenship, we went back to Kharkov to visit in 1997. This after communism fell, the Soviet Union stopped existing in 1991. I visited the research institute I had worked at before. They said, you must have a high position in America so you can invite us and we can come work for you. And nobody believed he was just a worker in a warehouse, but we appreciated any job we could get when we came here. Yes, I was very, very happy because can you imagine going to a country and can speak nothing? My English was zero. 
In America, my first job was washing dishes in a restaurant. So you know, I am a professional dishwasher. I was curious about what were some of the things that they both missed and didn't miss from the Ukraine, and also what were some of the things that they liked and didn't like about America. When we came here, it was a complete change for us. And we came here not young. He was almost 60. I was 55. It's hard to change, especially completely. We had to learn not just language, but culture, traditions. And of course, I miss my profession, but probably nothing else. We were able to pay rent to live in an apartment, and then we bought a condominium. It's small, not very fashionable, but we have a place and lots of food. We were stunned when we came to the supermarket for the first time. It was Mega Market some years ago. We had open eyes and mouth. We never seen so many different food. When we were in the Ukraine, it was a problem to get food. We had to stand in long lines. Because of his job, Yuri often was sent to Moscow, and so when he returned, he brought food because there was a lack of food in the Ukraine. Moscow had more food, but still there were the long lines. So when we came here and saw so much food, it was amazing. And it's still amazing how much food is wasted. At the restaurant, they had so much food left, and they just threw it away. And so many people around the world are hungry. We've remembered this, so we keep every piece of food and do not waste. I'm joking, of course, but the American people need to spend some time in the Ukraine. In Nashville, we also can't believe how few people are here. Compared to the Ukraine, where the sidewalks and streets are full of crowds, and in Nashville, if people pass by, they smile and say hello. This was unusual for us. When this happened, I said to Geralda, do you know him? She said no. I said, but he said hello. Now we think it's nice. When you get a smile, it makes you feel better. When we went back to Kharkov for a visit, we rode the train and everyone was sitting, looking down, no smile, not looking at each other, looking very sad. People are not happy. Their faces do not show it. This was now unusual for us after being in Nashville only six years. Our children have no desire to return to the Ukraine, even for a visit. They had a hard time. Our son was beaten in school by 30 students because he was not a fighter, a good student, polite, and Jewish, probably. He never complained, but our neighbor, who was his classmate, told us that he had been beaten. Our daughter was at the top of her class. She got all fives, which are like A's here. But she got a four in sports, and so she didn't get the medals that other students got. And the medals help you get into university. The teachers decided this. The Soviet Empire finally dissolved in the final days of December 1991. I asked Geralda and Yuri what was their reaction when they heard the news. We were in Nashville when we got the news that the Soviet Union had collapsed. Of course, we were stunned. And to see all the republics break up was like if the U.S. broke up into 15 different countries. You would not believe it. All the republics were connected to each other, and then one day their connections were broken. I'm not saying that the Ukraine should be part of Russia. They should be independent, but they must somehow raise their economy. We feel the government in the Ukraine has gone the wrong way. 
Now Russia and the Ukraine are having a war or conflict. Putin is a KGB man. The Communist Party had put him on top, and he has good memory of communism. He does some good things for Russian people, I guess, but his politics is too strong. In my opinion, he has been president too long, many, many years. In America, the president can be for no more than eight years. That's more than enough. I was curious to know what the couple thought about the push by such leftist American politicians like Bernie Sanders that the USA should adopt socialism. I guess socialism cannot work in America. They have lots of private factories, private land, and then for all that become the governments, it's no good. I agree with my wife because soon it will be supper time. <laughs> Lastly, I asked Geralda and Yuri if they could sing for us a song from their childhood. It's Ukrainian. Yeah. Ukrainian. And what's it mean? <laughs> what does it mean? You promise me come Monday and we can uh, go together, uh, play, dance together. But you did not come. <laughs> and you uh, make me... Tuesday thought and so, and, and Wednesday so, uh, so. But uh, you, yes, but you yes, must keep your promises and so, so, so. It's, it's, it's not really, it's not a joke, but like, like joke, joke. Yeah. Like joke so it, like it. it mentions every day of the week. That yes, you didn't come. yes, I yes. Yeah. I want to thank, of course, the Jishlins for sharing their story back by the woodpile. In addition to Grace Garrett Woolbright and Steve C. for reading Geralda and Yuri's respective transcripted parts. And if you're interested in what's going on currently in the Ukraine, I highly recommend the documentary. Winter on Fire, which I saw on Netflix. In the Corner, Back by the Woodpile podcast is produced by a closet, a pocket, and a suitcase. You can email us at spuncounterguy at hotmail.com. You can follow us on Twitter at spuncounterguy. And if you'd like to see a list of former episodes of In the Corner, Back with the Woodpile, go to spuncounterguy.com and click on the pictures of piles of wood with chairs in front. Be sure to download the new Podbean app to hear this podcast and others on your tablet and smartphone. And we are now on iTunes. Just do a search for Back by the Woodpile on the iTunes store, and we should pop up. And a special thanks to thebrofisticate.com. Thank you.